Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to continue walking through First uh, Thessalonians. We're going to begin in chapter 4, and these, uh, these verses and then the verses following it, which we'll talk about next week, are probably the most um, well-known verses in the book of First Thessalonians. Um, and next week we're going to talk about, uh, uh, you know, death and the rapture and the blessed hope. But for this week... For this week, we're going to answer one of the tougher questions, I think, that we as humans have. I've been asked a lot in my life, Sam, how do you know what the will of God for your life is? How do you know what you're supposed to do? How do you know where you're supposed to be? You, you always seem to know. I have a friend who's told me on multiple occasions, you always seem to just know. And the, frank, the, the fact of the matter is that I don't. But... I do know what the general will of God for my life is. There's two. There's the specific will of God for your life, and that's what he has for you specifically. For me, it's to be the pastor of First Baptist Church right now. But there's a general will as well, and that's for everybody that has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. What is the will of God? And I'm here to tell you this morning that unless you are following in the general will of God, you won't be able to know the specific will of God. So what is that general will? Let's read it. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to know how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is with the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not create, called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Verse 9 now. Now as we, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. I'm going to sum it all up down in verse 7. What is God's purpose for your life? For God has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. The will of God in your life is that you will be sanctified. That is the general will of God in your life. And you won't be able to walk in any specific will unless you are walking in God's general will for your life. This is true for every Christian. Every Christian should be walking like this. So here's, let's dive into it. Number one, how to walk. Number one, how to walk. I'm in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So number, number one underneath number one. So A there, abstain from sexual immorality. There is no sin that I know of in Scripture. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. 
It's not often, but once or twice. There is no sin that I know of in Scripture that is as destructive as sexual immorality. The Bible says that it is not just a sin against someone else or God. It is also a sin against yourself. You could read through Scripture, and one of the common themes is God dealing with people who are in sexual immorality. I'm not going to stand before you today and tell you that I've won this battle every time. I've said it before. I struggled through a four or five year addiction to pornography when I was in high school. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I, I've, I win this battle ten times out of ten. I don't know anybody that does. But I am here to tell you that the Bible explicitly and clearly states, abstain from it, run from it. It's the only sin in Scripture that I know of. It says to flee. Every other one, it says stand and fight. This one, it says flee sexual immorality. It's in 2 Corinthians, I believe. God says don't even try to fight this one. Get away from it. It's the only way you're going to beat it. Nothing, in my opinion, and I've watched families be destroyed by various things, including alcohol and drugs and such, but there's nothing that destroys a family, that destroys a ministry, that destroys a life like sexual immorality does. And so God starts with it. He says, listen, you want to leave a, live a sanctified life, run. Run from it with everything you've got. So that's number one, and I, and I know it's hard, it's a hard thing in today's world. TV is filled with it. Music is filled with it. Heck, did anybody watch the Super Bowl halftime show? I hope you didn't. It was horrific. And people were like, well, nobody cared last year when, uh, what's his name, Maroon 5's guy took his shirt off. And I said, I did. I didn't need to see California tattooed across his stomach. It surrounds us in everything that we do, everywhere we go. I was talking to mom about this the other day. We were in McDonald's. And I said, we were just talking about advertising and stuff. And I said, you ever see a Hardee's commercial? She's like, no. I said, well, it contains two things. A voluptuous bikini-clad woman and a really juicy hamburger. Because the two things that sell in this world are sex and food. It surrounds us everywhere we go. So I'm not telling you it's easy to run from it. I'm not telling you that this is, oh yeah, just, just run from it. And Because here's the thing, you can't, you can't bunker yourself in somewhere and avoid it. Because here's the thing, you could never see something, but we all have this amazing computer in our heads called a brain. It can conjure up images that you haven't seen in years. But the Bible says abstain, run from it. It doesn't go into it here, but I want to give you a, a couple of ways to really help yourself abstain from it. The first one is to have an accountability partner that you can talk to. I tell you what, since I became a pastor, I talk to my Uncle Jerry once every week to two weeks, right around there. I give him a call. If he's up, he stops in and sees me, and we talk for a bit. And we don't only talk about that. We talk about the church. We talk about this. We talk about that. I say... Uncle, I've got a funeral this week I've never done before. The first time I did a funeral. And he goes, all right, here you go. The first time I did a wedding, I must have talked to him six or seven times going, now how do I do this? But when it comes to that too, I know I can be honest with him. And I can speak truthfully, truthfully to him. And he goes, yep. So how are we dealing with this, this, you know, where are we going with this, all that? It's great. Have yourself somebody, at least one person, if not two, that you can talk to and be honest with. Open and honest with about it. 
that's one of the biggest things. The second thing, and then this will be the only thing, this, uh, the, only, uh, the second and last one. There we go. Words. Sometimes they're hard. Memorize scripture. Have it, have it memorized. When we see Jesus defeat temptation, what does he do? He quotes scripture at Satan. Does he say the chapter and verse? No. Now, I think it's important to know that, but if you have to choose one, choose knowing what the Bible says. You can find it. Memorize scripture. Have it going so that in the moment when you start to face it, you can start saying it in your head. Start running those scriptures through your head. So if you want to live a sanctified life, you've got to abstain from sexual immorality. And then you have to, he continues on in verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Possess your body. What does that mean? Don't be controlled by your emotions and the world around you. You are in control of yourself. You can't blame somebody else for your sin. You can't blame somebody else for your anger. I can't count the number of times when dad back there would be reprimanding me because I got mad and I'd be like, but Christina's the one. And he would go, I'm not dealing with her now. I'm dealing with you. You're the one that lost your temper. Well, that's not fair. Well, we're not at the fair. That was always his line. Until we got older, and then he would just say, well, life's not fair. But as kids, it was always, we're not at the fair. And I didn't understand it when I was 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20 years old. But I get it now. It doesn't matter what somebody else does. I've got to be in control of me. It doesn't matter, and this goes back to the sexual immorality, what she's wearing as she's walking down the street. I gotta be in control of myself. It doesn't matter what's on the bulletin board, the, the billboard, I gotta be in control of myself. It doesn't matter what somebody said to me, it doesn't matter what somebody does to me, I have to possess my own vessel in a way that is honorable to God. I have to control my emotions. Now I'm gonna tell you this, I generally in my life, I'm 25, have worn my emotions on my sleeve. Everybody has always known what it is that I'm feeling. If I'm happy, that's great. If I'm sad, you know. If I'm angry, everybody knew. I let everybody know when Sam was angry. And it's something that I'm, I'm not going to stand here and tell you I'm perfect at, but that I feel I've gotten better at is controlling my own emotions, swallowing my anger. Because here's the thing, and, and I'll tell you the moment that, that it, it showed me I really needed to get into control of myself. I don't know if you know this, Aunt Lawyer, or not, but you're part of this story. There was a day, four-ish years ago, and I was supposed to go see a movie with Ian, he, uh, uh, who was here before. And, and the movie started at four or something like that, and you gave me a call and said, hey, can you help us go come get firewood? for, the, for the, the, the house. Yeah, all right, what time? Ooh, two, three o'clock, what? Can we do it earlier? Yeah, we could probably do one. All right, if we do it at one and it takes two hours, like we could still make it, we can do this, okay. Bring Nathan along. All right, so it's gonna take an hour and a half. No, just kidding. But I'm getting, I'm starting to get really upset with myself. And we came and we did it and we went and, and, and we saw the movie. But before that happened, when I got off the phone with you, 
I went upstairs to my room, and I was so angry, needlessly angry, and I fully admit that. It's not something I should have been angry about in the slightest, but I was so angry that I couldn't force myself to not. I was pacing. I wanted to hit something. It was just anger, and I could not control it. I, I, it's a miracle that I didn't throw another drumstick through a window like I did when I was 15 or like 13-ish. I, I don't, and, and I stood there and I came to the realization, I can't live like this. I can't have this anger in me that just at a moment's notice flares up and then I lose all control. It was a moment, it was not this time, but there was another time in my life. They say you see red. I literally was seeing red at one point in my life because of my anger. It was infectious to me. And I said, I can't live like that. I can't be a husband like that. I can't be a father like that. I want to be a pastor. I can't be a pastor like that. I can't be a man of God that gets angry like that. And I made a choice that day. I'm not going to get as angry as I do. I'd like to tell you that every time I've wanted to be angry, I've been, you know what? It's all good. There have been many times over the past four years when I've wanted to hit something. I haven't. Sometimes I take a stick outside and go hit a tree. That's a great thing. He told me to do that when I was 13 years old. Do you know the amount of sticks I have broken across trees? Physical exertion. It's great stuff. But I said I can't deal with that anger. And, I, and I, I'm happy to say that there hasn't been a time in my life since then where I have dealt with anger like that. There have been times when I've noticed it coming. And I praise God that he's given me ways out to say, no, control it. Stop it now before it goes further. Deep breaths are a great thing. But you've got to learn to control your own vessel. Because in that moment, I wasn't honoring God in any way, shape, or form. My aunt asked me to go move firewood. What's the problem in that? Nothing. And I've got to control myself. And maybe for you, it's not anger. I, I talk a lot about my own struggles because I know me the best out of everybody in here. But maybe for you, you struggle with greed or maybe you struggle with jealousy. I know people that get so jealous of everything. You know them. You see them and they see somebody walking down the street and they go, I wouldn't wear that. Calm down. Maybe you wouldn't, but they do. Or maybe you struggle with gossiping. And I'm going to tell you this. We as Christians love to call, well, we're sharing each other's burdens. We love to call gossiping that. Well, did you hear that John's aunt's mother's twice removed sister's cousin's dog's owner is struggling with this? Great. We'll pray for him. How about next time you just say, hey, I know a brother or sister who's really struggling with blah, blah, blah. Can we, can we pray for him? Yeah, we sure can pray for him. And I just bring that up as an example, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody. No, but, but so you've got to learn to possess your vessel. And that's a lifelong thing. Here's the thing I want to point out. Sanctification is a lifelong process. You don't go, Father, I'm a sinner. Ooh, you're sanctified. You're just as good as you'll ever be. No, you say, Father, I'm a sinner. I want you in my life. And the process begins. And it's a slow process. Sometimes it goes quick. There have been times in my life, just as I'm sure there's times in yours, where over like a two-week span, you grow a ton because God's just throwing everything he's got at you. And you're going, why do we got to learn this this quickly? Nobody told me there'd be a test. There's always a test. 
And if the teacher says it's not going to be on the test, it's going to be on the test. And then there you, you might go a month, two months, and it just seems like you're not really growing in anything. It doesn't mean you're not trying. doesn't mean you're not reading the word, but, but you're just, it's this slower growth. It comes and goes, but it's a lifelong process. And the moment you think you've gotten a handle on one thing, God goes, great, let's tackle the other 99 billion things. Which one do you want? Oh, you don't want that one? Perfect. Here you go. It's a lifelong process. But so, n number one there is how to walk. Abstain from sexual immorality and learn to possess your own vessel in a way that is honoring to God. Number two here is toward others. Toward others. So number one was how to walk. Number two, toward others. How are you acting toward other people? Your C there is the one I want to tackle first. Love each other. Love each other. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I'm in verse 9, now 10. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Excel still more. I don't know the people in this church, not this church, that church, in Thessalonica, in 60-ish A.D. But somehow they were great at loving people. He says, yeah, you don't, you, we don't even, Paul's like, we don't even need to write to you about this. You've got it. Keep going. Love each other. You want to learn how to walk in sanctification and you want to work in God's will for your life, love other people. And now maybe you're like the people here in Thessalonica and you don't, you, you just exude love with everything that you do. That's great. Share some, please. Because there are a lot of days when I don't exude love. There are a lot of days where I'm going, you know what, it's not even days. I get in my car, and I'm driving behind somebody who may be, may be going just a little bit slower than I would like to be. And exuding love is not the first thing that comes to my mind. I went out Friday with, with Maddie and her parents out to, uh, to Deshi's. And Maddie was like, hey, we're leaving, and we'll be there. And I said, all right, I'll leave now. And I left, and it took me probably, what, 20 minutes to get there, half an hour? Somebody, now granted, it was Friday night. The roads weren't great, but they weren't horrible. If you went 45 down the three lanes, you were going to be fine. You shouldn't go 60, but 45, you were going to be fine. And I got behind somebody. Who decided that 10 was the correct miles per hour to travel? And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. And because, you know, they need to make sure that there's a lane clear on both sides, they haven't cleared the passing lanes yet, which is fine, except for the fact that I can't pass them now. So here I am going 10 miles an hour, and I'm telling you, love is not what was on my mind. What was on my mind is it's 6.30. I'm hungry, and we've reached the port of... Reached the point of hangry. I'm so hungry that I'm angry. It doesn't take me long to get there. I didn't honk at him. I didn't try to pass him or anything like that. But I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. This is what we're going to do today? That's not showing love. You got to show love. And so, and so maybe you're great at showing love. Maybe you're not. Maybe like me. Now, here's maybe you're like me. I, I'm not going to say I'm great, but I don't struggle to show love to messy people. You're messy, I don't care. Gosh, I'll, I'll pour God's love all over you. I struggle to pour love on the people that have been in church for 70, 80 years and think that they're better than everybody. I struggle to love that person. 
That's a hard one for me. Nobody in here is like that. I'm not telling, I'm not, you know. I feel like I have to, to hedge myself. But I know people, and I'm sure you do too, that, that man, they've got that, we call it the holier-than-thou mentality. And I, I always struggle to love those people. You could come in here in rotten, dirty clothes, smoking a cigarette, and I'd go, brother, can you put the cigarette out? But dang, we're happy to have you here. But I struggle sometimes to love certain people and, and not to love others. And I'm sure you do too, but if you want to walk in sanctification, you got to love them all. And that's part of the process. As you learn that those people that are holier than thou have just as many problems as the people that aren't holier than thou. They're just covering them up. And they need the love of God just as bad as everybody else does. He continues on here. And I'm in verse 10, or 11, I'm sorry, verse 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you'll behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So lead a quiet life. I'm not saying don't do anything. That does not mean don't shout from the rooftops the love of God and who he is and what Christ did. What it means is live a life above reproach. Live a life that when somebody looks at you, they go, man, yeah, I'm sure they've made mistakes in their life, but they just live it right. They're a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good daughter, son, uh, uh, mother. They're a good boss. They're a good worker. They're a good employee. They're good volunteers. Man, they're just a good person. There's, an else, uh, there's elsewhere in scripture where it says, live a life so above reproach that when people try to bring an offense against you, other people laugh at it because they go, not them. And I have people in my head who I know that I can go, man, they live a life like that. They lead a quiet life. And the Bible says, do that. Lead that sort of life and work with your hands. There's two things that go into working with your hands here. Number one, so you're not a burden to other people. Now here's the thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Being in need is not a problem. Being a bum who doesn't want to work, that's the problem. Work with your hands. But more importantly, and I think this is big, this goes back into the, the sexual morality and possessing your vessel correctly and, and righteously and, and such and honorably, I'm sure all of us have heard the saying, idle hands are the devil's handiwork. When you're doing nothing is one of the times when you are at your weakest defensively. When you're doing nothing, it means Satan can tempt you into doing something. Now, I'm not saying don't take breaks and relax. That's not what this is saying either. God himself rested on the seventh day. I'm not saying you have to be every single day of the week working, doing something, yada, yada. You do need to take some time off. Let your body relax and, re and rest up. But don't just be like, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to. If you know, here's the thing, right? If you know you struggle with sexual morality, whether it be in, in pornography or in your mind or whatever, don't be home. Try to be out someplace be it at work or something like that. If you know you struggle with, with greed, maybe don't allow yourself to be around money that much, more than you need to be. If you know you struggle with gossip, stop listening to other people. Stop, stop being around the people that gossip. Don't allow yourself to just be idle. 
keep going. Now, you can be relaxing and keeping going. I, personally, don't particularly like just doing absolutely nothing. I have ADD. My brain needs to be stimulated. Maddie will come over and she'll be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm playing a video game on my TV. I've got a book open over here, and I've got a video playing on my computer from YouTube, or maybe it's a sports game, or whatever. She's like, how do you know what's going on? And then I tell her what's going on in all three. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, my brain's stimulated now. My weakest point is when my brain isn't stimulated. When I go on vacation, this is the difference. Let me, let me tell you this difference. When mom goes on vacation, she wants to sit at the beach and do nothing. When I go on vacation, I want to go to Williamsburg, to Gettysburg, to museums, to factories, to all that kind of stuff. I want to take tours. I want my mind to be engaged. And she's like, this is exhausting. And I'm like, this is exhilarating. But I also know myself. And my weakest point is when my brain's not stimulated. So I listen to stuff when I go to sleep at night. And not sweet ocean sounds, because that wouldn't stimulate my brain. I listen to Adventures in Odyssey, the same one. I've listened to the same one for four years. I don't even really hear it anymore. But my brain hears it and it engages with it. it. Keeps my brain better when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. I constantly have music playing in my house or the TV on or something, even if I'm not watching it, because it allows my brain to engage. I'm not going to tell you it's perfect. I'm not going to tell you that every single time it's, it works, but it's something that helps me. So that my brain, because it's not much my hands as much as it is my brain needs to be engaged in order for me to live a sanctified life. Now, I'm not going to tell you there aren't times when I shut everything off. But when I do that, I'm not home. I like to go for a hike. I go for a hike. I don't listen to anything. I keep my phone on me because now I work here and just in case something happens, I need to be able to be reached. Or at the very least, I tell somebody where I'm going. I don't want to have to do that thing where I have to cut off my own arm like that guy did. I'm not into that. Nope. But if I'm going to shut my brain off, I need to be doing physical work. I either need to be mentally engaged or physically engaged. And I'm going to bet that most of you do as well because we're all human. And even if you don't have ADD like me or ADSD, I don't know what, it's, what it is anymore. I say ADD, I don't have time. Or ADHD, what's an SD, whatever. Um, engage. Either keep your body engaged or your, keep your brain so engaged that your body can't, can't cause you to sin or your body's so engaged that your brain doesn't have time to conjure up things or to lead you, help lead you down a path. So, in conclusion, if you want to know God's specific will for your life, I can't help you. I can pray that God will show it to you. And maybe he'll show it to me. He showed it to my parents before he showed it to me, and then they wouldn't tell me. But um, I can tell you this. You want to know what you're supposed to do with your life. Do what God has asked you to do in the place he's asked you to do it. Live the will of God in the place he's asked you to do it. Lead a sanctified life. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not. I'm not Mary Poppins. Sorry. None of you are either. Not even dad. He likes to say he is, but I know it. But live a sanctified life. It's a slow process. 
And there's going to be moments when you falter. Yep. Get back up. Keep walking it. Live the will of God out towards yourself inwardly and outwardly towards others. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come and learn the will of God, what your will is. God, I ask that you would help us to do what you've asked us to do in the place you've asked us to do it. Whether it be, you know, at our job, in our homes, here at church, whatever it be, I ask that you would help us to do what you want us to do. Ask us to do the little things you ask us to do in the place you ask us to do it. Father, we praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.